1: 18 plus.
0: Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly chess interview show with accomplished chess players, authors, personalities, and adult improvers where they discuss their lives, their careers, and share tips about how to improve at chess. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello everyone and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. This week we are joined by one of the strongest players in the world. He is a perennial top 10 player with a twenty eight nineteen peak rating, a peak world ranking of number two. He's the seventh highest rated player of all time. He was the world junior champion in 2009, three-time French national champion. And he has been busy and productive lately. Of course, he was runner-up in the 2020-2021 FIDE Candidates Tournament, which seems like ancient history at this point. Um, In more recent months, he won the Grand Chess Tour Croatia Rapid and Blitz. Um, By the way, he's the number three rated Blitz player in the world. He's been number one in both Rapid and Blitz. In August, he won the Classical Sinkfeld Cup in impressive fashion, and in so doing, he became the first player in history to win clear first at the Sinkfeld Cup two different times. Um, and so, as we said, he's been super busy, but he's back home in France with a brief respite. So, we really appreciate him taking the time to join us. Grandmaster Maxime Bashir Legrave, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Ben. And hi, everyone. Maxime. What a, what a couple months. So I've been, your blog is amazing. First of all, it's such a service to the chess fans that you dissect your games and sort of talk about your experiences and you're very open about it. So I've been going through your blog, just trying to put together your sort of travel log of the past couple months. And this is what I've come up with, Maxime. Can you, can you tell me if I missed anything? Um, Are you ready? Yeah, of course. Okay, so I have, you were in Paris, and then you went to Chalons-en-Champagne for a couple days. You did an event in Paris, then went to Chalons-en-Champagne. Then July 5th to 12th, obviously, you were in Zagreb for the Grand Chess Tour. Uh, From there, you had a big voyage to Sochi for the World Cup. Um, After the World Cup, a 35-hour journey to St. Louis, as detailed on your blog, you've been in St. Louis for more than a month with multiple events there. And you obviously had some success there and you came home a couple days ago. Is that, did I miss anything, Maxime?
2: No, that's good. Like I did have a couple weekends uh, in New York while I was in St. Louis, uh, you know, just for a change of scenery. But uh, other than that, uh, the journey is complete.
0: Yeah, I get the impression you like New York. I know that uh, prior to quarantine, you had been vacationing there too as well
2: no this was the uh, the most amazing story so i was not busy preparing for the candidates because well i was not uh part of the candidates uh so i visited a uh, couple of friends in new york uh so that was the general idea yeah like i i do like the vibe in new york it's very similar to paris in some sense but uh, also i have friends there so it does make sense too to go there, especially while, while I'm in the U.S. And, um, and yeah, so just when I came back to, from New York uh, uh, in early March 2020, I received uh, um, a message uh, while I was in the taxi uh, saying that uh, I might uh, uh, be first replacement. I mean, my first replacement card uh in such candidates my, might
0: might uh, actually uh, be useful. <laughs> yeah, amazing story. And of course, uh, you did an interview with Agat last year, I'm sure among other interviews, but listeners who want to catch all the details of your scramble to go to the candidates can listen to that. But Maxime, I'm curious, uh, as someone who lives not too far from New York, uh, what sort of activities do you like to, to do when you're in New York City?
2: Um. Uh, yeah basically so i was uh hanging out with friends so all the time so of course you know taking walks in central park and uh around town uh is nice uh i've done the touristic stuff like you know empire state building uh, uh one time and uh, i think that's enough uh, in general i just like you know and just the way i'm in paris like hanging out with friends uh visiting new places, should be bars, uh, restaurants, or, you know, Um, this time uh, we also went to a bowling alley. So, you know, pretty regular stuff, just, you know, uh, when it's with friends and, you know, in a place you, I'm not, you know, I mean, I'm starting to be aware of New York, but uh, it's still not a place I know. So it's a place where I still have a lot to discover. So it's uh, really a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, and it's always nice when you can have the, uh, the locals uh, show you around. But Maxime, let's, uh, uh, enough about New York. Let's check in on uh, how your stamina is. So just a huge run of tournaments. And of course, sometimes even in the travels we mentioned, you're playing in online events on top of that. Um, and obviously, you've had a lot of success, which means you've won some good prize money. But how, how is your, your mental state and your stamina as you get a little break here uh, back in France?
2: I mean, my mental state uh, in general. I'm I'm feeling quite pumped. I mean, that's normal. Uh, it's been a a good run of successes. It's been uh, quite the turnaround from the start of the year where I had a few disappointments, um, including, of course, my second place in Candidates, which you know in other tournaments wouldn't really be a disappointment, but. Uh, uh, when it can when it's a candidate it's only the first place thats you know that counts um there was obviously s- still the disappointment of being knocked out um, by Sergei Karyakin, um in the world Cup uh, and of course not making it uh, to the to the final i mean i didn't even make it to the quarterfinals but at the same time um it was a match where I played decently well. Um, so I was feeling that I was getting my level of play, you know, uh, back around with uh, Croatia, and then it culminated in uh, the Singfield Cup. And, of course, I'm hoping to capitalize on that. Uh, in terms of physical shape, uh, well, it's been a, a few exhausting months. And, of course, when I'm not at home, it's... Uh, more difficult to exercise properly. I mean, I don't have my personal coach with me uh, when I'm out in tournaments. And uh, for instance, in St. Louis, um, it was a bit bizarre because uh, every morning at uh, 9, 10 a.m., it's uh, already almost too late to to go out for, for a jog uh, because it's already uh, uh, in the 90s outside. So like, uh,
0: yeah. Um, Impressive command of Fahrenheit there, uh, <laughs> Maxime. Uh,
2: yeah, well, maybe 90s is...
0: No, I bit, think you're right. 85 think... to 90,
2: let's say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I've been in two months anyway. Two, right. for, so I've been, you know, translating uh, Celsius to Fahrenheit uh, or every day, basically. Um, so, yeah, in terms of shape. Well, I did go uh, to my to my coach uh, a couple of times this week. But uh, well, obviously, there's uh, a lot of things to you know to to remember and to to do again to to get back in shape. I mean, I don't have much time, of course, um, before Riga, which is a next very big thing. Uh, but I'm trying to capitalize on on the months I have to. You know, rebuild my physical shape, uh, knowing that, of course, my chest shape is uh, as good as ever.
0: Yeah, great to see. Um, you wrote on your blog, just before all the trips that I mentioned, on July 2nd, 2021, you wrote, it's clear that I'd like to find some stability in my game and become more consistent and regular again. Everyone knows that I have a lot of similarities with Nepo. There was a time when he played very much like I do now, very erratically. Since then, he's become much more stable and confident. It's my goal to get back to that state of stability and confidence that I had in a not-so-distant past. So, Maxime, I mean, I love the honesty there, but also, I mean, from my sort of uh, Potzer's vantage point, it seems like you you made some real progress. I, I gather you feel that way as well? Um, for sure. Um, of course, uh, you know,
2: every progress must be confirmed, and... Uh, uh, But it's clear that uh, the spiral of, you know, there's a virtuous spiral and, you know, a negative spiral that can install in every, I mean, not only in every chess player, basically, I think in every sportsman, uh, especially when it's um, individual sports, we're talking about like tennis, like boxing uh, or cycling or, you know, so many more Uh, but anyway um, clearly I've created this sort of virtuous cycle where um, you know I've uh, I'm playing better simply and my results uh, I've been showing Um, so results of my of hard work of course and uh, yeah clearly now I want to capitalize on that and you know not not relaxed because uh you know i've had a couple of good months clearly uh clearly uh i want to to keep on this trend
0: yeah and as you mentioned you mentioned the uh grand swiss uh fide grand swiss which will take place in uh in latvia in late october and the top two spots uh earn a place in the 2022 candidates um so, obviously, you've had an amazing year. Again, uh, great accolades, gain rating points, won a lot of prize money. But how much bigger is the winning, getting a spot in the candidates compared to that stuff, if at all, Maxime?
2: Um, clearly, the ultimate uh, goal, you know, of my career would be to, to become world champion. And I've been, you know, working towards that goal, uh, you know, with my staff and, you know, Adding new people to my staff, I mean new, you know, new chess players to my team, and you know, uh, trying to play uh, my best chess uh, in every circumstance. And of course, that's also why it was frustrating uh, in the early part of the year, where I really had my worst shape, chess shape in like five to six years with the Tata Steel. And then even in the candidates uh you know where I prepared uh in every single uh, detail to be at my best physical shape, which actually was the case, but um the chess moves were not uh following around and that was uh, really frustrating. Um so yeah, uh clearly qualifying to candidates is the is the goal. And then winning them is another goal, but uh of course it should be taken step by step. Uh because I know better than anyone how tough it is to, to actually qualify for, for the damn thing. <laughs> and um and yeah, then um, so then yeah, if we Hopefully, I I can do it uh, immediately in Riga. I know that the Grand Swiss, uh, you know, has a lot of uh, random element to it. Uh, let's say, th- in the sense that I can play extremely well, I could play extremely well, and still uh, not get uh, one of the first two spots. Uh, compared to the World Cup, where I know that you know, if I played in a- every game, uh, you know, my best chess, there's a good chance. I would make it because it's one-on-one matches. Um, But anyway, no matter uh, the results, I want to have uh, given it my best shot. And then, you know, uh, in the worst case, come with, uh, you know, the feeling that I'm still uh, playing great chess, uh, especially in uh, big events like, like the Grand Suisse. Um, to be, you know, fully rejuvenated for for the Fide Grand Prix uh, next year, yeah. but obviously hoping that there will be no Fide Grand Prix for me uh, uh, early 2022.
0: Sorry, could you say the last the last sentence again, Maxine? Is um, so, what last sentence or uh, about the Grand Prix in 2022?
2: Yes. Yeah, so... Oh, the last spots. Sorry. The um, last part, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. just saying that I'm hoping uh, that I won't be attending the Fedegondi. Yeah.
0: only 22. Gotcha. Okay, and uh, Maxim, if you just bear with me for a minute, I'm just going to give a quick overview to listeners of uh, the candidates. Exactly uh, how the since the can- who qualifies for the candidates is often in flux, and um, it can be a bit confusing. Um, just wanted to for, mention for everyone. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> for participants as well, yeah. Um, so uh, the whoever loses the world championship between Magnus and Napomnichi uh, will automatically be seeded into the 2022 candidates tournament, which normally it takes place every other year, but because of uh, the COVID delay, there's one next year to get back on schedule. Uh, Rajabov, due to the con- confusion and controversy surrounding his dropping out of the previous candidates, has been seeded in. And then in the aforementioned Chess World Cup, uh, Jan Christoph Duda, Duda excuse me, and Sergei Karyakin are in. So that's four of the eight spots. And as Maxime has alluded to, the four remaining spots, two are the Fide Grand Swiss, which will be about a couple of weeks away when this interview comes out. And it's, uh, as Maxime said, a, a unique tournament in that it's a Swiss format. So it is invitational, but it's got over 100 of the top players in the world in it. So... Um, no matter how strong you are, it's tough to uh, emerge as the top two from one of those. And then as Maxime also alluded to, the final two spots go to the top two finishers in the FIDE Grand Prix 2022, which Maxime has just revealed. If he can, if he can uh, qualify via the Grand Swiss, he'll, uh, he'll cool his heels a little bit, understandably. So, um, uh, so we'll be... Well, it's, go ahead.
2: it's even a requirement. Like um, in the regulations, if you are qualified to candidates... Uh, you are not. I mean, you are allowed to play in the FIDE Grand Prix only if you, uh, you know, um, withdraw your spot.
0: Oh, okay. Because, but you can still play in the World Cup and the Grand Swiss, even if you're qualified, right? Yeah. Well, it's. Um, I would
2: say it's a bit confusing in the rules, but uh, at least for FIDE Grand Prix, it's clear. I mean, I. I would rather. Have it for all tournaments at none, but uh, uh, let's say that for Fide Grand Prix, it's uh, very understandable uh, con- especially considering yeah. the new format that uh, you know players qualified to candidates cannot come and intervene too much.
0: yeah, so are you in 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 favor long term of even more sort of um I guess you could call them restrictions where like did you think that Magnus should have been able to play in the World Cup?
2: Um well, it's really up to fide to come up with these um uh, regulations, but yeah it does feel a bit weird that you know um players who are qualified for the cycle uh, are not uh are allowed to play in you know the early part of uh, the the qualifying cycle it uh, i mean it could pose long term problems for some certain situations where, you know, I mean, we've been fortunate that it doesn't happen, but uh, like, especially in the Grand Suisse, it could cause some controversies and well, even in the World Cup, like when you have uh, uh, Magnus Carlsen knocking you out uh, in the early part, I mean, it does feel a bit bitter, probably.
0: Yeah, and that uh, gets me to my first uh, Patreon question. Uh, List supporters of the show, of course, can find out the guests, and when we are privi- privileged to interview uh, luminaries such as Maxime, they can send in questions. So uh, the first question actually has to do uh, Maxime with the candidates format. So uh, Andrew Perry writes in to ask. He says, uh, "What do you think of the complicated rules used to select candidates in the candidates tournament?" I know that the I didn't, and he mentions he didn't think the wild card is fair. Ah, uh, the wild card previously. Just for listeners who aren't familiar, um, someone would be selected by FIDE on top of all the general qualifications. Now, I guess you could argue that maybe Rajabov's a wild card, maybe not. But there's no other wild card for this upcoming one. So anyway, Andrew says instead of a wild card, I would propose that the runner-up in each candidate's tournament should get an automatic entry into the next candidates. Uh, what do you think of that idea? And maybe you could speak more broadly, Maxime, about yeah. what you think sort of the <laughs> ideal format would be.
2: Yeah, I'll speak more broadly. Well, I mean, it would be nice, of course, if the runner-up was qualified immediately, but I don't think that's right, actually. Um, so there's a lot of things that could be discussed about the format of uh, qualification for the candidates. I think, in general, waiting uh, spots are not a bad idea, Uh but uh, they were, anyway, mathematically wrong uh, in the sense that he was taking uh, the average of the rating, meaning that if you have a good rating early on, it's a huge advantage Um, and sometimes uh, irreparable. Um, Then... um, So I'm a bit mixed about the Grand Suisse, uh to be honest, but it's been only the second year, and you know what at least you know it's it could be worthy of testing so but in general, I would be more in favor of um like something more simple and that doesn't require that many events uh, at the same time, I do like the World Cup um. So I'm not sure if we should get rid of the World Cup because it's a great event, but maybe it could become a yearly event event. Um, for the Grand Swiss, I think you know qualifying for through, uh, through a Swiss event is um, a bit weird when there's only two spots at stake. I mean there's uh, many risks even of, of collusion in the last games. Uh, because simply one player can be out of the race and the other might need a win. And well, you know, then it's, it would even be understandable if uh, players were, were colluding. I mean, uh, it wouldn't be ethical for sure. It would be something I I strongly reject myself, but, you know, it would be hard to, to reproach the players for taking a, the pragmatic approach uh, there, um, so I think um, then maybe the uh, I mean the all these uh, were good when it was the internal and then you had uh, like uh, at least five spots I think five or six spots and then you know it gets um, in a way much more regulated and much less random um so this could be a way uh another way which i don't really like would be to take all spots by through rating i mean of course it would be uh fairer in a way in the sense that you would get uh, almost automatically the best players to play but i do like the fact that there's a qualification process uh one thing i definitely found strange though is uh You know, change in every cycle, and like even this time, as a change in the FIDE Grand Prix cycle, uh, which at some point was uh, just a few one-robins, then a few, uh, let's say, um, Swiss events, but with very limited number of players, and then uh, a few knockouts, and now it's partly a group stage and then a knockout. And the regulations are just weird, to be honest. Uh, I, I've, read, uh, I've read through them and uh, there are a couple of points that I find, uh, you know, disturbing. And um, actually, same way than, uh, than the Grand Suisse, because it's going to be double one run It might happen that in the last Fiddy Grand Prix, I mean, things are... Are very clear for some players and you know I mean collusion could become the pragmatic thing to do and again that's um, that's not what I like um, that seems can, I mean that you can simply collude and it would be the you know the sensible thing to do and right yeah this this is just very strange that uh by uh, going for these formats um that fide encourages this um because at least in the world cup you know it's a knockout so you know you can collude with your opponent of course but <laughs> your opponent has just as much a stake as uh as you and um uh, so no the normal thing to do the pragmatic thing to do would be to fight and um uh, yeah, so I thought it would make more sense to to go towards this format where, you know, uh, collusion wouldn't be made, I mean, possible. Possibility of collusion wouldn't be made not only easy, but simply sensible from a, you know, results-oriented point of view. So uh, I really hope this is not the trend we're uh, going to because, you know, even when, you know, I don't doubt the probability of the players in general, but there will be, you know, for sure cases where uh, at the very least, there will be a doubt. And, you know, if it is not the, the real thing and yeah, that's not how I envisage uh, sports, you know, I, I think sports should be ethical and, you know, fair uh, towards our players. And uh this is why I didn't flag like the rules of the F1 Grand Prix and the fact that there's some there's uh, two spots through Grand Prix, uh, which, you know, in both cases, encourage uh, such uh, such practice.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for, for your honesty on that matter. I, I, I've long been an advocate for bringing back the Interzonals too. There's no substitute for the head-to-head combat, but... Again, not everyone agrees, but it's certainly unusual. I know you're a big sports fan. It's unusual to have sort of such high stakes, um, you know, uh, slottings dictated often by people who are no longer in competition for that prize.
2: Yeah, um, that's right.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, that also was the case in the in the candidates itself. Um, do, you, do you like the format of the actual candidates tournament once it gets down to the final eight or whatever it may be?
2: Well, you could say that you know eventually um, um you know at the end of the tournament, depending on who you play, you do have an edge because players are less you know incentivized to to play well because they are already out of the race, but at the same time, it's the case for for everyone who have been tournament who play, and at the beginning, everyone is incentivized to. You know to play as well as possible so it doesn't um trouble me a- quite as much
0: okay well maxime we have a lot of topics i want to hit so we'll we'll leave it there on the topics of uh candidates and format and all that stuff and we're going to take a quick break yeah, it's, and uh, it's complicated enough as it is. <laughs> okay well thanks for, thanks for being willing to talk about it we'll take a break and be right back Perpetual Chess is brought to you in part by ChessMood.com. ChessMood is a subscription-based instructional website founded by Grandmaster Avtech Gregorian, who you can hear on episode 192 of Perpetual Chess. Founded by Avtek and his team of Grandmasters, there's a huge library of opening, middle game, and end game videos. There's special events like webinars, streams, one-on-one blitz games. Every Chess Mood member gets a consultation call with one of the uh, Grandmaster coaches. And also be sure to check out Chess Mood's free content. Avtek has a great blog. They also have a YouTube channel where they're posting videos from Grandmasters daily. So links you need are in the show description, but be sure to check out ChessMood.com. Perpetual Chess is brought to you in part by AimChess.com. AimChess, of course, collects your games from the major chess sites and then gives you an actionable study plan. So it's a great resource for players and coaches alike. It tells you how you compare to your rating peers in openings, end games, time management, all that stuff. It told me I was behind on the clock in 87% of my recent Blitz games. I think I might need to work on that. And thanks to AimChess for pointing that out. But it's a great product. Go to AimChess and check it out and if you decide to try out a subscription use the code PERPETUAL30 to save 30% as always the info you need is also in the show notes
1: hey guys it is Ryan I'm not sure if you know this about me but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can I like to work but I like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun Chumba Casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
0: So, Maxime, uh, another great interview you did. Uh, we recently had our Grandmaster Surya Ganguli on the show. Um, I'm a big fan of his. And I forgot to mention his In Conversation series on YouTube, where he interviews a lot of legends of the game, including yourself and as you you alluded earlier to having a staff that's growing, um, and you alluded in your interview with uh, Grandmaster Ganguly to having a, uh, a s- sort of um, a performance coach having been sort of added to the fold. So I, I wanted to hear a little bit more about that. What's what sort of if you're able to speak about what sort of work you guys do?
2: Um, yeah, there's uh, a lot of things uh, at stake. It's really. Mostly about being able to, you know, take, of course, the things that I've done well, uh, you know, during a chess game uh, and, of course, uh, before, after the chess game, because to actually play well in tournaments, it's not enough to play good moves, but, you know, little by little, tournaments by tournaments, I've developed a routine of play and... Uh, you know uh, a chess tempo during the games and uh you know uh, drinks i would uh, I would get during the game uh, candies I mean uh, nuts chocolate whatever like all this sort of stuff um, what I would do as sports uh, uh before the game maybe after the game etc uh but to put all of these things under review and find, you know, uh, uh, piece by piece, uh, which piece fits into, you know, things I should keep on doing and which piece could be even improved. And uh, yeah, this is basically what's done and uh, for every aspect of my game and um, of course uh, to also help, uh, you know, with uh, handling of stress, handling of emotions during a game, and, you know, all this sort of stuff. So it's pretty generic. Of course, I, I won't get into the specifics, but uh, yeah, this is what we, we've been doing.
0: Okay, yeah. And you mentioned in your blog, obviously, the candidates, um, just to bring it back there for a second, because you played uh, Napomnici, who, of course, won the tournament in the penultimate round when he was already uh, in front. And you mentioned that he was... Uh, visibly very nervous so I was just curious if you could describe a little bit more um what you saw in him that 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 showed his nerves obviously it's a high stakes moment so it's understandable
2: <laughs> it's definitely high stakes moments and uh well even now I was nervous because uh you know I mean it was my last chance to to win the whole thing and uh well I had the unfortunate task of trying to win with black uh in a classical game when you know, your opponent is very satisfied with the draw. So that was, um, you know, a different type of preparation, even for me, uh, before the game. I mean, of course, different openings and, uh, but even different state of mind. And in the game, uh, you know, clearly I think Jan was not really trying to to play the best moves. He was trying to, keep some sort of uh, control. He was uh, also going back to his old habits of playing fast, running away from the board. I noticed, uh, you know, a uh, few more times than usual. He was just uh, going out of, uh, of the playing room because uh, he needed to be, uh, you know, to maybe uh, catch a break with his emotions or whatever. I mean, he would speak better about it. This on me, but this is uh, the feeling I was having during the game that he was um, uh, trying to to keep the game at a distance, even like not to be uh, uh, not to be too involved in the game, to not to have uh, um, too much emotions. Uh, but anyway. Uh, um, when it mattered, he did play some good moves to consolidate his position, so you know he was in actual uh great shape uh during the candidates and he was playing very well and uh without that uh, I'm not sure he would have been able to to actually withstand the the game and uh place a few good moves in egypt but um uh, yeah, in general, he, he was a very deserving winner,
0: yeah. Yeah, it was impressive, and he he mentioned in like uh, post tournament interviews that he had a whole lot of trouble sleeping throughout the the tournament, especially this the second half. So, it makes it all the more impressive that he was able to sort of keep his nerves. For sure. Um. So, of course, hearing you discuss the sort of rise in level, as again you mentioned on your blog and just uh, cataloged, um, makes me wonder. I have to ask your thoughts on the the world championship match. Um. What What do you think, Maxime?
2: Um. Yeah, it's hard to say. I think I would give Magnus the advantage uh, simply in terms of experience. Uh, I've uh, worked uh, with him or for him mostly on his in his match uh, of 2016, and I've realized, uh, you know, uh, from the inside what it meant, and uh, you know, in terms of pressure, in terms of uh, you know, handling with different scenarios uh, in terms of opening preparation, in terms of physical fitness uh, that you need to withstand for the whole match. So clearly the fact that Magnus played five of those matches is a huge advantage. Um, and he did learn, like, uh, for instance, it was clear that in this match against uh, Sergei Karjakin, he, he was frustrated uh, in mid-tournament, I mean in mid-match, uh he had missed a couple of opportunities and then went astray uh and lost with White uh very unnecessarily. And then in the match against uh, Fabiano in 2018, he didn't try his luck in, in this way and you know uh didn't mind going for the tiebreaks at all. Um so Clearly, for instance, the question is, um, is Jan going to be able to, you know, withstand the pressure and not get too impatient if, you know, uh, the match starts with like four, six draws and, you know, tension builds up. And clearly this is a good question because uh, Jan in the past had a pattern for playing, you know, a bit impatiently, you know uh trying to force things around and because he's a very strong player uh sometimes forcing things uh would work but against uh Magnus Carlsen you know, it might not so um so these sort of questions but in terms of uh uh you know actual level of play uh he will be a serious contender then you know uh what uh, is going on in Norway, is difficult to judge because he's trying out new things, and uh, he's definitely not playing at his best there. But uh, he's also had some interesting games. Uh, then, could it affect him that he's not playing his best chess, and maybe uh, you know affect his play in the match? I don't know. I, I don't think so. He has uh, he has had plenty of time to to prepare for the match and. And then we'll see, but uh, yeah, because of experience, and of course, because you know overall is he has been the stronger player i, I would still give uh, Magnus an edge for the match, but something like sixty to forty
0: okay, sounds reasonable now, obviously maxime you you seem to have pretty good relations with uh many of the top players, um someone like I mean you already mentioned training with Magnus and someone like Jan taking a leap forward and. Obviously it's been reported that even for the candidates, he had um a solid team helping him, and I'm sure even more so for the world championship. So do you do you talk about sort of tangible changes and preparation routines with other elite players? Or is it a little bit like uh is it a little bit too um
2: I would say it's a great area, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh for sure. Like uh we do speak quite openly about some things, but uh like even for Magnus to bring me on um, on his team in 2016, I mean it had the obvious advantage of uh, you know having a, an elite player uh, for the opening preparations and also for rapid play, which uh, <clears throat> I think proved useful uh, uh, when he played some some rapid games with me um, just before the the tiebreaks. Um but
0: uh so he did
2: reveal some secrets there, and Ooh. you know it's uh not necessarily something you want to do. At the same time, I also did reveal some secrets to to most of his teams in terms of how I was judging positions, how I was, you know, um working in terms of openings because everyone has a very you know. Unique style of uh, of checking things out, uh, even at, even if at the end it's all going to be the same lines, but um, there are some different perspectives and some positions and and ways to work. Um, so yeah, it's definitely not something we do usually, but uh, uh, one thing is for sure is that uh, I have a lot of respect for. All players, you know, from the elite. I know how difficult it is uh, to be there, and uh, and we do have, you know, some common grounds to uh, to start with. So, so that's good.
0: Yeah. Now, I somehow I wasn't aware of this. uh, These training games, these rapid training games with Magnus. So, did those take place in the middle of the match, like before the rapid playoff in two thousand sixteen?
2: Well, I mean, there, um, you know, there are many moments where, you know, you need practical play uh, if you're going to play a match. So Magnus was, you know, always very happy to play some some games, but uh, yeah, we did some specific, uh, some specific Surreal. games, uh, you know, you know, in like. Certainly. As much of uh, match condition as it is possible when it's only training, but um, before the playoffs, yeah.
0: So, were you hiding out in New York for that match? Uh, no, I was not. In,
2: no, this was for internet. I was not in New York at all. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. And I gather you have not been approached by either um, party for this upcoming World Championship. Obviously, feel free to punt on any question I ask if you want. Uh,
2: no, I mean I. Uh, you know, the thing is, you cannot take me by the words there because <laughs> in okay case I'm gonna say no. But uh, right, but yeah, you can trust me that uh, I haven't been approached.
0: Okay, <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, you seem <laughs> yeah. you seem super busy. So uh, yeah, even yeah. if you were, uh, you got you got your own uh, world championship title to chase. Um, sure. So we're gonna take one more break, Maxime, and then I have some more uh, Patreon questions to dive into. Perpetual Chess is brought to you in part by our longtime sponsors, our original sponsors, Chessable.com. Chessable, of course, is known for its proprietary move trainer technology, which utilizes spaced repetition to help you remember openings tactical patterns whatever it is that you're working on they have a huge library of courses including the free short and sweet versions of various openings speaking of openings they just dropped lifetime repertoires the London system by Grandmaster Le Quang Liam love or hate the London you got to know what to do against it so be sure to take a look for that and don't forget to sub to the how-to chess podcast hosted by yours truly we just had Peters Fiddler on other big guests in the works so all the links you need are in the show description let's get back Back to talking chess. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Okay, so Maxime, we are back. We have some chess training and uh, improvement sort of related questions, and the first one I want to hop into is from Alex Robinson. Thanks for supporting Perpetual Chess, Alex. So, Alex asks, "What are the most effective ways you have found to study and train?" Now, Maxime, since you've done so many interviews over the years, um, I thought it might be more interesting to hear about recent what you're doing recently. Um,
2: well, in general, uh, you know. The needs change, uh, you know, for depending on the players, but also depending on what stage of my career I am. So, for instance, I've uh, always had trouble, you know, treating uh, training games uh, as, you know, the, the useful things they can be when you take them seriously. But I've always been more of a competitor, but now I realize, uh, I started realizing it's very important to, uh, to take them, I mean, to approach them uh, very seriously, and to be able to to be in condition when the tournament starts. So, of course, there's um, <clears throat> a lot more of uh, you know tactics, uh, you know, more than tactics, even calculation, like uh, thorough calculation, and uh, well. Etienne has not always been happy with my involvement in, in those, but uh, I'm trying to, to improve in, in that respect to you know, be, be more fit. And um, yeah, then of course, I mean, for me, the needs depend on whether I have a tournament coming up. Uh, whether I've just had one of three tournaments and all these practical exercises are not really needed because I've had all the practice I needed. Uh, so yeah, things uh, do evolve, and uh, yeah, basically then the approach is different for for every player. But uh, one thing uh, you generally need is you know to have someone to to guide you and to you know uh, make sure that <clears throat> uh, you you know you're on the right track we can see more with more distance more clearly what you're doing right what you're doing wrong and you know focus on on improving uh, what you're doing wrong because I think that's engine or the most important because especially nowadays games are not One, because of things uh, you've been doing right. I mean, it is a bit the case, but if you have some blatant weakness uh, and you do not get rid of them, uh, then everyone's going to murder you on those weaknesses.
0: Great insights there. Yeah, I saw you mention in a little biographical video that you did when you launched your blog. I definitely, as Agatmater did, recommend that listeners really dig into all the material on Maxime's website. It's it's amazing. But you mentioned that you think that what differentiates Magnus is that he makes fewer mistakes than all, all the other elite players.
2: Um, yeah, it's probably still the case now. Also, the gap has reduced. Um but um, but yeah, this has been one of his main strengths. <clears throat> and now you know things evolve, and you know with uh, the new material at our disposal, and you know every detail ma- matters, of course, at the uh, top level. So every detail in terms of uh, chess preparation also matters.
0: Now, you mentioned the gap closing. Do you feel that's because of other top players making fewer errors or is uh, Magnus making a few more or both?
2: Uh, Maybe a little bit of both because, uh, you know, uh, let's say when Magnus had this great run in 2019, he was uh, definitely ahead of his time in terms of preparation. And this gap has reduced. And the thing is, when you have great preparation... Uh, You know, when you get an edge in the opening, you have not only do you have an easier position to play, so fewer chances of mistakes, but your opponent also has a more difficult position to play, so many more chances to for mistakes.
0: Do you have (laughs) any Do you have any openings you think are especially likely to be seen in the World Championship, or is it just impossible to predict at this? Oh, that's really
2: not easy to predict Like uh, I definitely didn't predict uh, Magnus using the Sveshnikov in 2018 so uh, uh, but in general it's not even about the opening it's about the edge you can find in, in terms of preparation, in terms of new ideas uh, and you know constructive new ideas um, so anyway clearly um, I mean Magnus is still the best player's player in the world, but you know sometimes he doesn't get his preparation in, and you know uh, when he's out of his comfort zone, he does make mistakes, even if uh, he's a tremendously gifted player.
0: Okay, and um, the next uh, Patreon mailbag question is from longtime friend of the pod, Chris Wainscott. And Chris Chris asks, Maxime, how does your preparation both pre-tournament and pre-game change between a closed event like the Sinkfield Cup and an open event like the Grand Swiss? And then I have another one.
2: Oh, well, <laughs> I would have... say uh, pre-tournament it does change because, you know, uh, clearly in a Grand Swiss I'm going to need a lot more wins. So I'm going to need to take lots, I mean, sensibly more risks. Uh but then, during the course of the tournament, you know it's you know you don't have things planned out maybe as much uh, as you know in a, in a one robin where you know in advance who you're gonna play and with which color. Um, but for sure, uh, you know uh, the specifics that you get uh, the day before are essentially gonna be the same idea. Um, and, uh, yeah, then it's mostly the difference in, in approach in the fact that you need to, to win more games.
0: And the second part of Chris's question was, other than the increased importance of opening prep, did your approach to chess improvement change as you got stronger, say, from IM to GM, 25 to 2600, 26 to
2: 2700, 2700+, 2700 etc.? Um... Yeah, maybe I've not focused enough at some point uh, in, in that area, but for sure there's um, you know some uh, endgame knowledge that's useful to know and then to, to remember. So luckily this is something I do naturally, so it was not visible. Uh, but some <clears throat> theoretical endgames are very useful to know and because something cannot really be be invented, and some things are of particular importance. Uh, let's say, uh, weekend games, of course, or queen and pawn against queen is also a very difficult one. Um, but these do bring some half points uh, here and then, and they do make the difference at the end of the day because you know the gap is. Uh, the gap is not that uh, big between the players of the top, uh, okay. so th- so there's that, and then of course uh, the calculation. At some point, I was, you know, relying on, on my calculation skills, which which are good, and on my intuition, which is also very good. But uh, but this way, I was uh, sometimes a bit lazy during games and not calculating deeply enough, and sometimes missing things that uh, were costly. So. Uh, I've also tried to work on that, and uh, uh, clearly, for instance, in the field Cup, I was very happy because I did make one calculation mistake. Uh, I mean, what I call a calculation mistake in the during the World Tournament, which is uh, well, very little.
0: Yeah, you had some beautiful games in that tournament. Um. And you mentioned earlier, you're you're who I believe to be your lead trainer, Grandmaster Etienne Becquereau. Um When you, when you make decisions like this about which end games to work on and stuff like that, like how much of it is coming from you and how much of it is coming from, from uh, Etienne and your team?
2: Um, I mean, it's uh, you know, not always uh, evolving process, and uh, you know, we always. Have a dialogue about what uh, what we should try to do and what what's next uh, for the next tournaments. Uh, but of course, in general, one of the good things is that he's been working with me for Etienne's been working with me for a long time now, and uh, he does know me and my uh, my needs in terms of uh, you know the positions I need to get and the and the ideas I need to focus on. Um and he has a clear view as well because <clears throat> he follows extensively the games uh when I'm in tournaments and when I cannot really do that. So so um, this way he, he can suggest me a, a lot of things. And then of course, you know, if I don't agree on something I, I, I will say it, but uh He does have some some good ideas.
0: Makes sense. And is he generally traveling with you, Maxime? Uh,
2: Not very often. Uh, Etienne has a family, so of course. uh, And he's also quite active as a chess player. Uh, He was uh, quite successful, for instance, in the World Cup. Yeah. And... So he does struggle with me sometimes. Well, for instance, as a World Cup, because he was there playing, <coughs> but generally he will go, you know, only three, four times a, a year. Uh, sometimes even less. Like for instance, in the candidacy, he, he was not there because it was more convenient for, for him to work from home and, um, uh, I did have uh, Sebastian Mazet there with me but uh yeah to for things to 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 run smoothly and to have company that definitely needed when when you're not doing well at the start uh so mm-hmm. that was very useful but uh, um but yeah so like if you know the the so place is nice. We know, we know the place. We know we can hang around, you know, for instance, in London or in Zagreb. Uh, you know, Etienne's been there. In the, also in tournaments where it's of vital importance. So, like, <clears throat> when he was in the World Cup in uh, BDC, uh, or, yeah, it was BDC in 2017. Etienne got knocked out. Uh, I don't remember when, probably second or third round. Um but then he did stay until the end of the event because, well, there's rapid games, there's uh, uh, there's tie breaks and there's always something that's needed um, during those times. So it was very useful that he was there. And same goes for the Grand Prix uh, of the last kind because there, was, there were tie breaks. He was there in, in Riga and in uh, Hamburg. Okay.
0: Yeah. And speaking of tie breaks, I saw that again, you know, this seems to come up a lot in these tournaments you mentioned earlier, how, you know, generally a lot of these formats could be changed, but there's also, there's no, it's, there's no tie break playoff for the Grand Swiss, even if it, uh, determines who goes to the candidates. Do you have an opinion on, on that, uh, decision, Maxime?
2: Well, uh- a very strong one. Like, even <laughs> in the candidates, there's not, uh, there's no playoffs, uh, I think. I mean, only, there's only a playoff if all mathematical tiebreaks are, are even. So, of course, I think, uh, every tournament, uh, should the players end on the same number of points should be decided on playoffs. <clears throat> and even, like, I could even suggest, um, For instance, um, it's just a suggestion out of the blue. I mean, not out of the blue because it's something I thought about some time ago. But um, So let's say you have a Grand Swiss and instead of doing it 11 ones, you do it, um, let's say, uh, 9 ones. And then you have the top 8 qualifying for some sort of one Robin, of course. And then you could say uh, you only need to know the two spots so you have only two ones to do. I mean, it does make for these eight players um, uh, six more days of work. But, you know, the stakes are big enough. You do remove that bit of randomness uh, of, you know, getting first two. And in general, it could be an interesting idea even in one Robins to have, you know... uh, let's say in one robins you have uh, the first four players to to play in a play. I mean in a playoff especially during rapid tournaments maybe so like this could be a possible evolution but then again like I said uh there's been too much changes uh so in general I think uh, also we would need a little stability so I'm not saying this change should be enforced uh, uh, right away like um but we need something clear like a clear cycle of of things.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear you say that because as a chess fan I always feel that way. I mean, first of all, it's more entertaining. Um the the heightened drama, yeah. but i
2: uh yeah, if I may add a point, uh chess as a spectator sport <clears throat> has been going a lot uh in the last 2 years. And in general, um know that I interact, you know, with uh, for new, this new audience, especially this new French audience that we have. I mean, it's too complicated. Uh, there are things that don't make sense. In every tournament, the format is different, and they just cannot follow. And yeah. It just, you know, because as chess players, we, we are used you know, to the chess scene, we are used to the chess games. But for them, it's already a challenge to actually follow the chess games. Mm-hmm. So if they have to wonder what's the time control, uh, what's going on there. So like, you know, it's clear that we have a lot of work to do compared, for instance, to ATP. Where, you know, you you jump in and you know, okay, this is a ATP 1000, um, you know, Grand Slam, whatever. And you know what's at stake, you know, the format and... Uh, it's much easier to follow. And I think we should definitely work on that, uh, you know, to not to lose the uh, audience in terms of, you know, not to confuse them.
0: Yeah, I agree. And as my friend, Greg Shahadia said, I mean, just because something is the way things were always done, doesn't mean it's the right way to do it. Um, For sure. uh, um, And uh, hearing you talk about the sort of explosion of popularity of chess reminded me that um, Anish Giri did an interview with uh, I am Levy Rosman, Gotham Chess, in which he said that the Queen's Gambit boom actually doesn't hasn't affected the elite level that much. Your tournaments are kind of the same. Um, I was wondering if that's your perspective too, Maxime.
2: Um, that's true, but uh, you know, the, I don't think that was uh, the point because I think you know, <clears throat> top level has been treated uh, quite well in the last. Um, a few decades I mean clearly there was a time where it was not as easy to make a, a living as a top chess player <clears throat> especially considering we were not a spectator of sports yet uh, so you know we definitely have nothing to complain about but it's very good that you know it helps a, a lot new players maybe uh, you know to have opportunities of you know commentary uh, coaching whatever, and, you know, it helps chess grow, and I think long-term, it's great for everyone, and, you know, maybe, you know, you could say that maybe in five years, our price money will uh, go higher because of this, so... um, So, yeah, for for me, life hasn't changed because of Queen's Gambit, but uh, my life was already okay, and (laughs) it's good that... uh, you know everyone uh, gets a piece of the cake. um I think it's fairer this way
0: yeah it's it's been great to see, and obviously, you've been France's top player for many years um What is your life like, especially when you're home like how often do you get recognized and stuff? I see that you've done a ton of media, but I'm just curious uh um <laughs> how how often uh people Note you when you go for a walk or yeah, a jog in Paris. This
2: has evolved uh, dramatically uh, in the last few years. Um, so there's uh, Bleedstream doing uh, a lot of work yeah, as a it's streamer been... on his street channel. Mm-hmm. And uh, during the candidates, he had like up to 30, 35,000 uh, viewers. Um, so let's say that. Two to three years ago, I was maybe recognized once every month on the street, maybe once every two two weeks. Um, And now, like, since I came back home and, you know, I have not uh, been outside, you know, every day, you know, 16 hours a day and just taking regular walks. I've been recognized one or two times a day. Wow. Yeah, so that's actually impressive.
0: How do you do you like it or would you rather kind of be below the radar?
2: Uh for now it's good. Maybe at some point it will get old. Uh and like it if it comes to being recognized 20 such times a day, it will definitely get too much. Uh um but for now I, I like it like uh, I embrace it. Uh I feel like it's good also that, uh, you know, I do interact with this audience quite a lot through stream channel. Uh, so the interaction is very, you know, casual, normal. So this is where I want it to be so that you can uh, talk to me, like not like I'm some kind of freak, but like I'm, you know, a normal human being. And this is what's happening right now. So they they're not scared of me. They're not, uh, and I definitely don't want to, to scare, to scare them <laughs> off. <clears throat> that's,
0: that's great. Yeah. blitzstream. Of course, I am Kevin Bordy, who I interviewed in like uh, 2016 or 17, and he oh. was still an FM and then he's just, it's, it's great to see the explosion. Uh, actually, in popularity.
2: he's always been a national master. So he, because he is not playing uh, over the board. Right. At all. But, uh, uh let's say that uh considering at least his split skills are closer to a GM.
0: Yeah. Um great to see. Well Maxime, it sounds like if you're a little worried about being recognized too much, you gotta be careful in this uh world championship cycle <laughs> because uh if if you win it's gonna be uh it's gonna be a whole nother level.
2: Yeah, for sure. Like um uh, you know, I I'm not scared of being recognized too much, it just um, that, you know, I like to take at least like uh, 30 seconds, one minute, uh, you know, if they want a photo or something. And of course, if I get recognized uh, 20 times a day or more, I mean, at some point <clears throat> it will get too much. And I will have to say, uh, no, I have to go. So am I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm in a rush or whatever, but... Um, and... I mean, it probably does get... uh, I'm not at that level yet, but uh, I know that, for instance, Magnus did have a tough time when he became a a national superstar in Norway because uh, the attention can be too much and sometimes you just want to be casual, you know, uh, doing your thing Um, and not being uh, being famous at all. But... um, you know, for now it's really good for now. I just embrace it.
0: That's good. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so we have a couple more listener questions, so I'm going to dive in. Uh, This one is from Matt Hunt. Um, thanks for the support, Matt. And Matt asks, he says, uh, what was the motivation behind your bachelor's degree in mathematics? How hard was it to balance chess study with math, uh, degree study?
2: Yeah. Um, so first of all, I wouldn't have done it if I didn't think I could do it. And uh, let's say that I could have uh, done more extensive math studies like uh, you know, going to prep school um, instead of uh, university, which is definitely more challenging in France. and anyway, where you learn a mo- lot more. So let's say this was the easy way to multitask. I mean, it wouldn't have been possible to multitask if I went to prep school. Um, so, in general, the university didn't get any kind of challenging before the third year. So, luckily, that's uh, basically the that was basically the finish line, and it was possible for me, you know, to go out <clears throat> to tournaments and you know come back after two weeks. Just catch up uh with the math, and you know uh I did uh, have uh, a few awkward talks with uh, teachers you know they were like <laughs> uh I've not seen you since the start of the year. do you really think you can get out, get off so easily from it and uh yes yeah, and uh f- like half an hour into the lesson, I would be answering their questions. Um, you know, getting most of them right. So since they, they let me alone. <laughs>
0: That's good. And it sounds like, sorry, go ahead.
2: Um, and I did like math. I still like math a lot, um, but I don't have time now, of course. So yeah, uh, the thing was, the question was whether I would keep on studying math and try to do this multitask, but <clears throat> this would have been impossible to, to pursue. And other than that, I really craved for some, you know, interactions that was not entirely about the chess world. And this is also why I, I was in, uh, in the university. And I felt it was good for my stability because uh, at the time I entered uh, uni, I was still only 17 years old. So.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, and we have... Uh... One more listener question, Maxime, which is from uh, Igor Feinstein. Um, and he says, uh, given that you're now entering the fourth decade of your life, by the way, your birthday is going to be right before the Grand Swiss. So hopefully uh, hopefully that'll be a, a good omen. Um, and he said, and given that you've been one of the top players in the world for many years, what specific goals are you going for these days? Are you still motivated to go through the grueling tournament cycle to make it to the candidates and ultimately the championship?
2: But yeah, so then I plan, you know, to play my chess career and, you know, try to to do my best to to become more champion for sure. Um, and then at the end of the day, uh, what will matter is, you know, uh, that I don't have any regrets. Uh, as for actual, you know, my chess career longevity, I have no idea, but I do expect that by the age of 40 uh, I will not be able to uh, to play at, at this level. I do feel like you know the, the top chess uh, top chess career, you know, is generally uh, lasting around fifteen years because uh, it's grueling, for sure. But you mm-hmm. know, as a challenge, is worth is worth it.
0: Glad to hear, and I know you've. It's mentioned on your blog. You and some of your, um, some of your grandmaster, French grandmaster compatriots are uh, fans of Roger Federer and of tennis generally. Do does seeing the longevity of like uh, Djokovic and Federer does does that inspire you as a chess player?
2: It is very inspiring for sure, and uh, it is actually a surprise. You know how much they are giving to to the next guys who are trying there. It's the hardest to, you know, get them out and, and they don't manage. Well, you know, Roger might be in his last days as a tennis player and, and it is kind of painful as a as a diehard fan, but uh, but he had a very good run and, um, and, yeah, it's been, a, it's been an inspiration for sure.
0: Now, obviously, you're pretty well-known, Maxime, but Roger Federer is on a whole other level. Have you ever had any whispers of attempting to meet him or, like, express your fandom in some way?
2: Um, Well, I did have... uh, I mean, I didn't have any direct contact with him, but um, last year I did have some contact with uh, his trainer, uh, Ivan Ljubicic, who is a chess
0: fan. Oh, awesome.
2: Yeah, yeah. so yeah, I know that he's still motivated, and that's all that matters to me.
0: Yeah, it's it's inspiring. Um, and it's clear from your blog and from your Instagram that your team and the the French national team are very close knit. And obviously, you guys have a a new entrant, uh, Ali Faruja, who, as we record, uh, is knocking on the door of the top ten classical players at his young age. So yeah, that's I'm curious. Yeah, impressive. Yeah, it's amazing. And I know you talked about it prospectively with Aged Mater, him joining the team, but I'm curious if like there's been any sort of personal interactions as as he becomes a sort of uh, part of the cadre.
2: Yeah, for sure. Like uh, you know, we've been we've obviously been in touch. And uh I'm definitely hoping that he will be part of the French team for the next uh uh European team championship, which is in November. Um and of course, you know, it's inspiring, you know, first of all, uh, to have a new player on the French scene who can, you know, help me. Uh, also, uh, you know, getting France uh, to the top level of chess. Even though we had great players, of course, is a tremendous addition and might become even a bigger one in the future. And uh, yeah, it's also, of course, uh, very good for me, you know, to to keep competitive and you know to to work to to keep uh, to keep that number one spot, which I yeah. did lose for for a few <laughs> weeks, and uh, of course uh, I'll be trying my hardest to you know keep that keep that honor for, for as long as possible.
0: And does, uh, does Ali Reza, when you guys talk, do you speak French or
2: English? Uh, we're still on um, English speaking terms. Uh, okay. But I know he's taking French lessons <clears throat> regularly. So uh, I hope that he will be able to to speak French at some point. But uh, even if he doesn't, English is good enough.
0: Yeah, obviously your English is great. And I'm sure he's getting plenty of practice. Um, so the last topic, Maxime, and I have to admit, I feel a little guilty even bringing it up because I feel like you get asked about the Neidorf, um and the Grunfeld every interview, but uh, in sort of interfacing with listeners, it, it always comes up in conversation. So my first question, Maxime, is in researching the interview, you know, I've quoted you on the show a couple of times saying, that you were apparently asked at some point uh, when you would stop playing the night, that you would you said you would keep playing the night or until the doctor told you to stop. But then I tried to find the quote and I couldn't. So I wanted to check in to see if you really said that or not. I first did of all. say
2: that. I don't remember okay. when, but uh, I did say that. But maybe it was just a, a casual interview, not a, not a lengthy one.
0: Yeah, it was. it's very funny. Um, <clears> and I was curious more broadly um you know, it's been mentioned many times that the most of the elite players have these uh, dazzlingly wide repertoires, whereas when you're black, uh, one can ha- make a reasonable guess that they might see those openings. So I was curious, like, what do you think the... Is there a philosophical difference or is it, like, more of a feel-based thing? Mm-hmm. Why do you think it is that you're, you're the one sort of carrying the torch for, like, not as wide of a repertoire?
2: Well, I would say maybe the difference... Um, is for instance, for instance, a player like Westersoas, <clears throat> I feel a very narrow repertoire. We basically know he's going to play the Berlin. Uh, the difference is an inaccuracy in the Berlin uh, doesn't cost as much as in the of or in the Grenfels. And, uh, yeah. But I do have a good feel with these openings. Uh I've obviously had some uh, setbacks. I've had uh, a lot of success with them as well. But then, obviously, if at some point it becomes too much and, you know, the doctor knocks on my door, (laughs) uh, I will uh, effect some changes. Um, And uh, Mm -hmm. I've actually started doing that, uh, you know, uh, adding a bit more uh variables uh recently but uh yeah for now, I don't see uh the need to change things uh dramatically and you know depending on the occasion of course uh this might happen, but uh I was still very comfortable uh playing this uh in the candidates and so uh... I really yeah, don't certainly. feel like uh, this, you know, the openings were the reason I didn't win the candidates. It was just uh, my chess abilities that were not good enough. If uh, I had the chess abilities uh, I then had in uh, the Sinkfield Cup, I mean, I wouldn't say, I, I I don't say I would have won it because maybe, you know, uh, for instance, uh, Jan might not have lost the last round uh, uh, where he was granted to win. You know, it's very, you know, every tournament scenario is different but definitely i would have scored more points
0: yeah makes sense and obviously it's a funny time to be asking you because your, result, your results have been amazing lately um and yeah we're looking forward to uh to seeing more um and just one more follow up um you've mentioned sort of in older interviews it sounded like you didn't you don't enjoy opening work as much as some other players do you is that still the case for you
2: for sure but even more than opening work, it's a uh, memorization part, which uh, which is grueling. But yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I do have um, I do live for my passion. I do have challenges, you know, to become the the best player in the world, uh, which is not something uh, you know many people can you know uh, say or even imagine. Um so of course there has to be some some parts uh, out of that and uh, I'm definitely not complaining about that.
0: Yeah, I just saw a quote yesterday uh Jeff Bezos said that in almost any job there you're going to end up doing 50% or more of things you don't want to do. Um and it it seems like you might you might be clocking in below 50%, I would guess. Probably. <laughs> yeah. But it is, I mean, it's stressful, I'm sure. I mean, and you just slept in your bed for the first time in two months. So it's uh, not not to be um, discounted, the the sacrifice involved.
2: Uh, for sure. Yeah, it was uh, a big relief to to be back in Paris. Actually, the first thing I did, <clears throat> so I had barely slept in the plane. I, I came to my apartment at 8 a.m. And the first thing I did was just take a... Um, a five mile, five miles walk, basically, all around uh, my neighborhood.
0: That yeah, it must have been a good feeling for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, well, Maxime, I think you've answered all my questions. I want to thank you for being so generous uh, with your time. Um, is there anything, uh, anything else you would like to say to uh, to our listeners? Anything they should be on the lookout for, other than your continued busy schedule?
2: Um, no, I think uh, I think that was pretty good. I think we covered a lot, and uh, it was my pleasure.
0: Thank you. It was amazing. And just to, to get the rundown <coughs> of where where to root for you, you've got the online Champions Chess Tour, the Meltwater Final. That's right, online. And then is it the next event is uh the the Grand Swiss?
2: Um, yes, that's right. So I play in the Grand Swiss, and then in the European Team Championship. Okay, uh, so things are slowing down a
0: little bit. Okay, great. Well, thanks again, Maxime. This has been amazing, an honor for me, and you really appreciate your candor and your humor, and uh, definitely will be rooting for you. Thank you, Ben. Thank you to everyone who listens to and supports the podcast. And most of all, thank you to my producer, Matthew Passy. Be sure to check us out on social media. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at beneficial one. We also have a perpetual Chess Facebook group where we continue the conversation about each episode. I've even got the Instagram page locked and loaded, actually posting clips every week. So you can follow at perpetual Chess to catch some clips there. Um, I also want to thank our sponsors, of course, uh, Chessable.com, the original sponsor of Perpetual Chess, Aim Chess, Chess Mood. Thanks. I'm proud to be affiliated with all of these sites. Um, Also want to thank Blue Wire Podcast, with whom I partner. Big shout out to Blue Wire. Check them out for sports podcasts. But most of all, I want to thank the individuals who helped make Perpetual Chess go via PayPal or Patreon. And of course, they get to find out the guests, send in questions here Uh, occasional GM lectures on zoom um, and even get ad-free podcasts so thank you all for supporting perpetual chess and keeping it going so without further ado I would like to give special thanks to the following people and entities chessable.com David Lazarus of lasman quality chess books the capital city chess club the abysmal depths of chess blog shout out to JB adapta interactive web designs and services the apprentice twitch channel a needy deer austin clough benjamin Porteau, bill sigler kathy carr chad oliver the charlotte chess center the chess central's chess blog chessmood.com chris flanagan chris lot dan ohanlon daniel hee danny davidson david mitchell i am dimitri schneider douglas wilson i am eric rosen farhan thawar Faraz sawaf gary foreman glenn downing greg harfst Greg Shahadi Gregory Gulick Campus Axelson James Kennedy Jay Garrison Jeff Martinson Jeff Schaefer Jeremy Nelson, John Jernigan John Rockefeller John MacArthur Kevin Forsythe Kevin Gilmore Kevin O'Callaghan Kevin Pryor King's Selt King's Crusher YouTube channel The Law Offices of Stuart Katz Matthew Feeney Michael Can, FM Michael Oblin Mr. Mike Shahadi The Famous Mr. Dodgy The Nerdnace Twitch channel Peter McManus GM Peter Prohaska Peter Soddy, Philip Lummons, the Playmore Chess Academy of the Hamden Chess Club, Ray Lillywhite, Reuven Fisher, Robert Hansen, Ross Crossland, Seattle Chess Club, Shane Unger, Stefan Kelty, Steven Martinez, Sven Gerson, Thomas Tachenko, Todd Bryant of strongchess.com, Todd Kennedy, the Vintage Patchers, which is a chess.com improver group, and Wayne Bean. I would also like to give thanks to... Is Vallega, Adam Fowler, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adrian Gutierrez, Al Hastings, Alan and Maggie Sue, Alex Pejas, Alexander Markovitz, Antonio Cancino, Antonio Leonfort, FM Andre Terakov, Dr. Andrew Perry, Angus McLeod, Barry Hessian, Bill Juniper, Bill Moran, Bill Trammell, Brad and Andy Rosen, Brandon Halseed, Brian Chase, Brian Mullis, Bruce Scott, Brian Tillis of Palm Beach Chess, Cameron Davis, Ken Cabadillo, sorry Ken, can Kabadai, Chad Hilton, Chad Likens of Rose City Chess in Portland, Oregon, Chess for Charity in Jacksonville, Chess Pats of Spain, Dr. Charles Snodgrass, Chris Kiefer, Chris Wayne Scott, Chris- Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Shabrik, Christopher Wood, A- I am Christoph Zalecki, AKA Chess Explained, Coach Jade's Chess Academy, Costa Caros, Courtney Fry, Craig Mallon, Daniel Ginsberg, Daniel Naylor, Dave Best, Dave Saylor, David Blaskotchek, David Brown, David Gores, David Hamblin, David Cramley, David Peterson, Dennis Parrish, FM, Donnie, Ariel, Dwayne Edmonds, Ed Daly, Ed Mead, Edwin Rodriguez, Ethan Smith, Evan Rosenberg, Ewan Richardson, Ian Mason, Felipe Melo Peria, Fox Valley Chess Club, Francis Letart Lavoie, uh, Frank Tortoris MD, Frank Zananis, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Gautam Narula, uh Gene Stewart, George Foote, George Harris, Giovanni Russo, Gregory Higgins, Han Schut, Harish Renivasin, Howard V. Han, uh, Jacob Kovacs, Jason Apollo, Jason Murray, Jacques Perry, James Aspinwall, James Bonastia, James Muir, Jason Wollum, Jay Tuttle, J. Deep Chakrabarty, Jeff Anderson, Jeffrey Martello, Yep Hoyland, Jerry Wells, Jesse Damas Dekumus, excuse me, Jesse, Jesse McNulty, Jim Ratliff, Jim Sadler, Joe DeSano, Joe Valdez, Joe T- Thomas Ramos, John McAdams, John Tully, Juan Almaguer, Dr. John Fallon, John Fernandez, John Prince Fontaine, John Hartman, John Jeffrey, John McMurtry, Jonathan Bannister, Jonathan Slater, John Quist, John Tully, Jose Rodriguez, Justin Gardner, Justin Goodfeller, Jen Shahadi, Joe Rocky, John Thompson, Grandmaster Josh Fridell, I am Kari Christensen, WGM Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, I.M. Kostya Kovitsky of Chess Dojo, Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Kyle McAvoy, Larry Cook, Larry Ryforth, Macaulay Peterson, Maria Emely- Emelyanova, AKA Photo Chess, Mark Chaves, Mark Fitzpatrick, Mark Miller, Mark Wilkins, Marko Bulatovich, Martin Knudsen, Martin Krug, Matt Ferrari, Matthew Allen Coughlin, Matthew Tedesco of SeattleChessMeetup.org, Matias Plock, the Mechanics Institute of San Francisco, Michael Allard, Michael Hudson, Mike Clem, Mitchell Fabian, Nate Goebel, Nate Solon, Neil Bruce, Negma, Milajanov, Nicholas Isabel, Olaf Mueller-Michaels, Pablo Davida, Grandmaster, Pascal Charbonneau, Passy Passanen, Paul Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Eckert, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Queenside Management uh, Limited of Switzerland, Randall Montgomery, Randy Temple, Ricky Grijalva, Richard Hallenbach, Richard Tucker, Robert Callahan, Robert Turner, Robert Wall, Robert Wilson, Rory Coleman, Ryan Berg, Sampson Teaches Chess, Satyajit Malugu, The Say Chess, Publishing, Unstoppable, Empire, Scott McKinnon, Scott Rose, Sean Krauss, Sebastian Finsterwalder, Sergey McCoggan, Seth Ruzica, Seth Will, Sean Tracy, Silver Knights in Richmond, Simon Schmidt Stefan Roller Stephen Miller and Tom George uh, WGM Tatyav Abrahamian Terry King Thomas Brown Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com Tim Seymour Timothy Ha FM Timothy Wall Tobiah Rex Tom Edsel Tommy Farron Tony Rattella, Tyron Price Victor Beauchamp William Brock, William Peterson, FM Zhao Cheng of Chess1000.com, and last but never least, Zhivko Stoyanov. So thanks for listening, everyone. We will catch you all next week.